We want to welcome everyone to our Wednesday evening service tonight. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that we have several that will be viewing our service, our class tonight on, on uh, through the internet. Thank you for being part of our service tonight. We have several announcements before Brother Ken comes for uh, his lesson. Uh, in the bulletin, there's a, quite a list of folks that we need to uh, remember that have lost loved ones. In addition to that, Sister Wanda Sweeney passed away today. Uh, her services are tentatively scheduled for Saturday at 11 o'clock, a graveside service at Oaklawn Cemetery, no visitation uh, prior to that service. Uh, also, Laura Galloway's grandfather, Richard McDavid, passed away in Paris, Tennessee. We need to remember her. And we just found out a few minutes ago that Beatrice Barron had a stroke and she's waiting transfer to Tupelo. The food pantry uh, item for this week will be canned fruit. The food pantry and clothes closet will be open tomorrow at 9 o'clock. If you're planning on participating in the last leaders or forms in the foyer, please pick those up and turn them in by this coming Sunday. There's also a place to check on the uh, Christian woman subscriptions. That's time to renew those subscriptions, so please check the table out there for that. 
Again, this year we will be making, we will be having, uh, if you'd like to make a donation to one of the ministries uh, of the, the church here, it could be in honor of or in memory of a loved one. Uh, there are forms in the foyer. Please pick those up and turn them back into the office by December the 16th if you'd like to participate in that. Next week, our Wednesday evening service will be on Tuesday. Uh, we'll have our Thanksgiving devotional, and all the classes will meet here in the auditorium. That's next week on Tuesday. Also, the Golden Circle will be traveling to Corinth to Cracker Barrel for breakfast on Monday. Uh, they'll leave from the annex at 8.15. That's all of our announcements. Brother Ken's coming to uh, conduct our class. Good evening, everybody. Hope you've had a really good week. And isn't it wonderful, middle of this week, to be able to come back together and participate in a study of God's Word. And we're going to sing a song and have a prayer. And then we will talk some more about what it is to be a servant, to develop within us a servant mentality. We're going to sing 695. This will actually have a lot to do with what we are considering tonight. 695. I have a handout for you for tonight. It's actually a questionnaire. I was going to tell you it's an exam of everything we've covered so far, but I didn't want anybody falling out in the pew. So it is a questionnaire, and we're going to be going through that tonight. We'll work on that as part of our lesson. But I need a couple or three volunteers to pass them out. They're right here on the front. If you'll get those while we're singing and get those distributed, I really appreciate that. 695 oh, Some of 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of today, for the extension of our lives. We thank you, Father, for yet another opportunity to gather together, to be in fellowship with one another, to sing songs that praise you and remind us of how special our relationship is with you. And as we sang this song, to be reminded of what we've gone through or are going through in emptying ourselves and focusing ourselves with great intention on you. And Father, I want so much for us just to, without any hesitation, to relinquish our own will and make your will our will. I pray, Father, for those who are suffering in this congregation. Some are very sick. Some are recovering from injuries or surgery. Some are in nursing homes. And some just don't feel well or are spiritually troubled. Lord, for all of these who have any kind of deficit, we sympathize with them because they're part of us, but we're asking you, Father, that you'll bring about recovery in them. And for those who are back with us, uh, despite maybe some continued difficulties, so thankful for the encouragement that they give as they persevere and walk among us. I pray for those who are grieved this very hour. I pray for their comfort. I ask, Father, that you will be with us tonight as we talk more about being a servant of yours. 
Help us, Father, to develop a servant mentality. Have our minds changed and to have a heart of service. To be sensitive to those who are around us and to automatically act on the behalf of others. Father, I pray you forgive us where we failed you in the past, but help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding and in our application of your truth so that we can be better at being more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In corporate America, there has kind of been a a shift to actually what we're trying to talk about here in our series. And that is to a kind Does it work better with it on? That's what that green light's all about right there. Okay, so today... There is in corporate America the very thing that we're striving to have, servant leadership. In fact, that's become very popular. Lots of, lots of books have been written about how to lead corporations, how to lead men and women in business. And actually, the idea is not just to dictate what's to be done, but, but to be there in the midst of the operation, to set a great example, to, to work with people as opposed to just being a dictator and, and instructing people and pushing them. The idea is that while you are the leader, yet at the same time, you're looking to, to work with your group and you're looking to support them in the work that they do. So you are, in effect, leading while at the same time serving those who are working toward a common goal. Well, that, that's, that's what we are in the church. We're people who are united together in a common cause, and we are also, in the process of that, we're encouraging and building one another up. We look for leadership that's there to serve, and Jesus' own principle of exalting that which has humbled itself it ought to be evident to us continually. Well, you see that around us, we experience it maybe in the workplace, but what we want to do is not, not just learn what it is and apply it in a situation, but what we're trying to develop is the full extension of that, and that is the servant mentality. The servant mentality is, I'm not just being a servant in a certain situation, What I'm striving to do is to have that servant mind all the time so that I am continually in the mode of service. Now, I'll tell you, I've I've mentioned this, I think probably the last two lessons, and I'm going to keep hitting this drum because I, I want us to become desensitized. If I say servant, okay, we talk about servants quite often, or service, talk about service projects, and we send a list around, we'll sign up for it, volunteer, okay, 
Service isn't an affront necessarily, but if I use the word slave, whoa. (laughs) That just seems to me, right, just the, the connotation of the word slave is way more commitment. And while most folks would be happy to sign up for a thing, an event, an activity, The idea of being a slave is a continuous concept. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. So servant and slave, those are words that apply to us. Now, if I'm in the church, I I can get volunteers to do things, be involved in activities, put up a sign-up list. We'll get people who are interested in doing an activity. Usually, we'll do it because, well, maybe it's something... I enjoy doing. So it's easy for me to sign up for that. The servant mentality, I'm hoping, is going to carry us beyond just what we're doing here within the scope of the church work, sign-up lists. And that we'll also be a servant, not, not just when we come here and we sign up for something, We'll be a servant when we leave this place. We'll be a servant in our community. We'll be letting our light shine as Jesus taught us to do so that others in our community will see that light and they'll give glory to God. Our challenge is to develop what we're going to call a servant heart. So I want to share with you some ideas of what it is to have a servant heart. If I'm a servant who has that mentality, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do what is necessary to bring glory and honor to God, then I'm going to be at the ready continually. In fact, I would, this, I would use this word in description of what we're considering here, and that is a servant who has a sense of anticipation. I'm looking for opportunities in order to serve others and bring glory to God. I'm not going to wait for someone to ask me to do it. I'm going to look for the opportunity, and then I'm just going to take the initiative. In the book of Romans chapter 12, and many people have referred to this as the golden chapter of the Bible, and it's golden because... It describes for us what God's expectation is for us in terms of righteousness. This is the right kind of way to live. And he just, he just from start to finish, top to bottom, is just a continuing list of things that demonstrate a life of righteousness, a, a life of living sacrifice. But here in the midst of this, chapter 12, verse 13, he says, We are distributing to the needs of the saints... And listen to this, given to hospitality. Now, he doesn't just say to be hospitable. You'll read about that idea all over the scriptures. Hospitality. In its grandest sense is the idea that I'll bring somebody into my home, I'll feed them, maybe I'll give them a place to stay. I want to care for you. I'm hospitable. I'm opening myself up to your care. But here in this text, he says, you are given to that. 
And the idea isn't that, you know what, if somebody asked me, I would do it. That, that's not what's being described here. The idea in this text is, I'm going to look for opportunities to reach out and bless the life of somebody else. Nobody's telling me I have to do it. I am, I am anticipating it. I am setting myself in terms of awareness. I'm going to be aware of what's happening around me. And when the opportunity presents itself, no one will have to say, hey, we need a sign-up list for people to come and help this situation. It's not going to be that. The servant mentality, the servant heart is going to be such that when I see a need that exists, I'm automatically going to do my very best to respond to that need. It helps, I think, really in any subject that we would talk about, but especially this one. It helps to think, now, exactly, exactly what, what is Jesus' mind about this? What, what, what would Jesus be prone to do in these circumstances? And I was looking at this text. It's actually from John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. It tells us something about why Jesus did the things that he did. Now, you know, John, who's recording this for us, goes on later in the book to say, look, if I, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough volumes on the earth in order to, in order to write it all down. But these things have been selected so that you may know that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name, John 20. 30 and 31. But aside from that idea, here in this text, we find out exactly why it is that Jesus did the things that he did. And the text tells us that he did what he saw the Father do. Now I want to stop right there for a second. Question, why did Jesus act the way he acted? Jesus acted the way he acted. He participated in the things that he participated in because he took his lead from the Father. What the Father was concerned about, what the Father loved, Jesus was concerned about. Jesus loved. And so when I look at Jesus' interaction, well, we tend to classically go to, you know, the scourge of society, the people that most folks wouldn't touch. So he's associating with, you know, Samaritans, like the woman at the well. He's, he's associating with, with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He's going into places where people are possessed of demons and they have these horrendous physical conditions. And we draw from that, well, I look at that and I say, well, you know, look at this lesson that Jesus taught in this setting. And usually what we do is we go right for the punchline. Here's the lesson Jesus was teaching. But have you actually just stopped and look at the setting and ask yourself, okay, here's this great lesson that Jesus is teaching, but more often than not, it is directed to those who are kind of the bystanders watching Jesus interact with people who are very needy. Those folks aren't lifting a finger in order to deal with the situation that Jesus is dealing with. And then they want to condemn him. Either he's doing it on the Sabbath day or he's doing it in such a way as to actually give honor and glory to God. But they say he's blaspheming. 
And so when Jesus is interacting, you've got these bystanders who basically aren't doing anything and have no desire to help those who are the most needy, and they condemn him for what he does. Jesus says, well, no, wait a minute, <laughs> wait. What I'm doing is taking the cue from the Father. So what I can learn from that is God cares about those people. God cares about those situations. And his expectation is that when his son came into the presence of those that God cared about, his son, just like the father would, took care of it. Okay, now, what am I supposed to do, right? Well, Jesus, in John chapter 14, after he told his disciples that he was going to the father and the only way to get to the father was through him, He's the way, the truth, and the life. The question comes up, well, you know what? If you just show us the Father, it will suffice. We'll we'll be good. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 wait. You know that if you've seen me, you know it. You've seen the Father. So the extension is, Jesus, if you just show us what to do, we could do it. Jesus is like, I am showing you what to do, so do it. Okay, father's concerned about those who are in need. Son comes, he deals with those who are in need. He teaches the lessons to encourage those who are on the outside looking in to get involved. Jesus' own disciples come and say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? And Jesus is basically saying, well, do what I'm doing. You You follow the dictates of the father just as I am following the dictates of the father. Here's something that I want to say that it, it is simple. I guess it kind of goes without saying, but I, I just want to put it out there. You'll, you'll think it's kind of a duh moment, but listen, I'm afraid sometimes we don't get it. I, I want to say I'm a servant of Jesus Christ because that matches what the Scriptures call me to do. But here's the thing about being a servant. Don't miss this because this is important. Servants have a heart for service. That is, servants want to serve. That's what they live for. It is not something that describes me. You say, well, he's a servant in terms of an action that they did. It's not that. It is something that doesn't describe me. It's something that is supposed to define me. That's not something I do serve. That's what I am. That's the idea of a servant heart. I am a servant. I don't just do service. I am a servant. In Romans chapter 12, again, at verses 6 and following, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let me boil that all down. He could have continued that list on and on and on and on. In fact, I mean, this would be a fun exercise. Just think of the one thing that you think you are. You know, what are you? What is the capability that you have? 
You say, well, Ken, I am most interested in, and then fill in the blank. Or Ken, here's the one thing that most people say about me. Fill in the blank right there. Now, take that which you specialize in and use it to the glory of God. Would that not be the easiest thing in the world to do? Nod your head this way. Of course it is. If I'm a teacher, and I know we have a, I know we have a lot of professionally trained teachers, and I've heard teachers say this, and if you've said it, I, I promise you, I haven't heard anybody here say it, so if you have said it, you didn't say it in my presence, so right now, peace, okay? <laughs> but I have had teachers say in my presence, yeah, you know, I have so many, I have a master's degree in, in teaching, instruction. You know, I plan to do this and that and the other thing about advancing my career. I have all of these professional development hours on and on and on and on and on. But, you know, I teach those kids every day. And so when I come to the church building, well, like Sunday morning, I, I, don't I deserve a day off? I can't teach those kids. Or Wednesday night, I've been working all day teaching. I'm not going to, whoa. I'm thinking, wait a minute, if you are professionally taught how to teach children, and you even specialize in an age group, let's ask the big elephant in the room kind of question. Who do you think empowered you to be able to do that? Who do you think it is that made possible for you to go to school and learn all these valuable things? Listen, if you can make a living out of that, great. I think that's wonderful. But if you are highly skilled in those areas, doesn't it make sense that God would expect you to use those skills in order to train up His children? Uh, people that are professional singers, like, well, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to sing during the worship because I might stray my... Wait, what? I mean, if, if that is a capability that you have, wouldn't you put that to use? I think the answer is an unqualified, amen, yes, of course. However, for some reason, the whole sense is, well, that's mine. And so since that's mine or that capability or that training or whatever, then somehow or other, I'm not obligated to use those things. I, I just, peace, but I don't think that's true. I think if God has blessed us, then He has made an investment in us. And here's the thing about God and His investments. He expects a return on that investment. So if I'm taking what God's given me, and I'm great at it, and I'm just burying it and putting it in the ground, well, you know how that story goes. I don't have to remind you of that. Okay, so we're thinking about the heart. If I have the heart for it, then can you tell me a little bit about the way of the servant? Like, if I have the heart, now what? You know, what, 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 what to do now? Well, let's think about servant for just a minute. Like, there are a couple of terms in the New Testament scriptures that cover this idea of servant or slave. One is doulos. That's probably the more, most common that's not associated with offices in the church, doulos. That is, and I'm going to use that word we don't like to use, it's a bond slave. Now, I'm using that emphasis on slave because I want us to clearly understand, I'm not just serving according to my own whim here. If I'm a slave, that means I'm committed. 100%. A master 
has bought my services. And he is in expectation that I'm going to serve him as he desires. So I am a bond slave. A bond slave means I'm not slave just for a certain amount of time. I am a slave bound to my master for the rest of my life. I've also heard this before. Yeah, you know what? I've taught those kids for 30 years. I'm retired because I'm going to let those younger ones come on. I think it's great to let the younger ones come on, but when do we retire? <laughs> Thank you, Jim. When we die, that's our, that's our retirement policy. Somebody, you know, people say, well, what kind of retirement do you have, kid? And I say, well, when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's my retirement. They say, well, no, no, be serious. And I am being serious. I have the expectation, as long as I'm physically capable or mentally capable, you understand, I'm going to keep doing it until I retire. My retirement into eternal reward is my expectation. So if I'm a bond slave, that means I'm bound to the whims of my master for as long as I live. Have you read this text from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20? You, Christian, were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify your Father in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're going to glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Uh, whose are they? They're God's. Why are they God's? Well, because He bought me. If I had my sins washed away, I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Since I've been bought, well, how much of me was bought? All of it, the whole package. Not just my physical and my spiritual, but everything that makes up me, my whole circle of things, my house, my car, my stuff, everything is God's. Anything in my possession, even as a steward, well, there's another word that is a dependent sort of word. I'm a steward who is responsible for the things of, guess what, the master. It's his stuff, not, not mine. Well, Ken, what about that service that I do? God's voice tickled to death with what I do. Okay, yes, he is, uh, so long as there is that dedication of service, understanding I'm giving him my all. We shouldn't get, my friend used to call it bigoty, <laughs> too big for our britches. We ought not get too bigoty about our service to the Lord, thinking that maybe we're more esteemed than others. Because God's expectation of me is exactly the same as His expectation of you. That is, He expects it all. Now, people's talent levels and resources vary. But the percentage of requirement doesn't vary. It's always 100%. So, if I'm serving the Lord on that level, then... Think about a text like Luke 17 and verse 10. Okay, so here comes the bigoty servant, and he says, Oh, Lord, look at all that I've done. And he says, When you have done all that you were commanded to do, here's what you say. We are an unprofitable servant. And the reason why is because we have done what was our duty to do. Unprofitable, wait a minute. I did what you told me to do. Well, profit is that which is beyond the base level, right? You say, well, I made so much, but my profit was what was beyond, okay, necessary. Well, here's the thing. However high I can take it is what God's expecting. Wait, what? Yeah, 
you're an unprofitable servant. He says, you've done what was your duty to do. That is, whatever it is that I can do, the 100% of it is his expectation of me. And so I can't then say, well, Lord, you know what? I've given you 120%, and so I'm going to rest on that 20% for a while. That's not how this works. I am committed as a bond slave for 100% all the time. Now, I wanted to look at... Wait, I gave away all of them, didn't I? Can I borrow somebody's? I'm sorry. Sorry, Joan. (laughs) Yeah, I'll fill it out for you. How about that? (laughs) No, you can fill it out later. Listen, I want you to take this out because this is a servant assessment questionnaire. What I want you to do, we're going to go down through this list, and all you have to do is just check off the thing that you think applies to you. It's very simple. What we are hoping for is that you can check off seven or more of these. If you can check off seven or more of these, then you, you know what? You, you are on your way. You really are. You, you probably already have this servant mentality or you're close to it. You've got the heart. You are aware and you are active. But if you come in short of that, then peace again. My hope is that it will alert you, alert us, to those areas that we need to give some attention to. Okay? All right. Uh, The first one, are you willing to sacrifice your own interest for the good of the church? Are you willing to do that? Uh, Let me give you an example. In the first century, there were people who were in Jerusalem who had obeyed the gospel. They're displaced. They ran out of money. And so brothers and sisters in the church gathered up money. Some people even sold property in order to get enough money to help support these folks. That happened again when there was a terrible famine in Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting about that. It wasn't the Jewish Christians necessarily who were helping that. It was predominantly Gentile Christians who were contributing money in order to help their brethren in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of the reverse of the Samaritan story. So if something like that happened, would you? I mean, just be honest. Nobody, I'm not taking these up, so you don't, you don't have to worry about it, but this is for your assessment. Would you be willing to do something like that if the need arose? Uh, the second one, are you open to the ideas of others? Do you always think you're right? I mean, besides me. <laughs> Somebody said, uh, Ken, what's your opinion of that? And I say, well, my opinion is the right opinion. <laughs> Wait a minute, they say. You should, oh, uh, it wouldn't be my opinion if I didn't think it was right, right? But it's possible my opinion could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, you know, interested in my opinions. I think I have them all right, but I'm sure I don't. So do I have a heart that says, if I find I'm wrong, am I okay with it? Or if it's incidental, we come in here and, uh, 30% of the people are like, we need, we need to change this carpet. And they're like, okay, we'll give into that. And now we're going to vote on what color carpet we're going to have. Oh, no. That is split the church territory right there. But we got 
51% that said we won't paint carpet in here. And 49% of us are like, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? What would you, would you fight? Would you just, you just dig in and we're going to have us a big old church fight? Or would you, you know what? First of all, I, I don't care. I don't care. Maybe we could have pink carpet in honor of my little granddaughter that's coming in February. I don't know. You know, I could be swayed one way or the other, but would I, would I just dig in and hurt people over it? Are you open to other people's ideas? Or, or do you shut them out? Uh, third, do you understand what's happening in the lives of others and how it affects them? Do you know your brethren? Do you, look around you on your pew right now. Do you know all of them? Uh, do you know what's going on with them? You say, well, I'm married to them. Oh, that is not a gimme. Do you know what's going on with her? Do you know what's going on with him? Are you really involved in their life? Uh, do people come to you when the chips are down or when something traumatic has happened in their lives? In other words, do you feel like people trust you? They know that if they share something with you, it's not going to go hit the interstate. You know what I mean? You're a confidant to people. We ought to, we ought to feel comfortable with one another. I, I, I will tell you, I've heard of situations where you have an eldership. And I, th- there'll be a member... Well, I've had this happen to me in the past. Who came to me and said, you know, I just, I can't talk to so-and-so. And I think to myself, what? They're your elder. Well, they don't have enough relationship with that person even to know if they trust them or not. Well, first of all, they're one of your elders. We ought to be able to trust our elders. Yes, not dread this way. Yes, but at the same time, do I, do I know them? And if I don't know the people around me, not involved in their life, that, that'd be something, don't you think, if we're one in the body, something to get after, getting to know one another better. Do you have a strong awareness of what is going on? When you hear Sunday, well, such and such a group had a great time up at such and such a place. Oh, we wish, and you think, wait, what? Some people went somewhere? I didn't, I didn't know about that. Oh, it was in the bulletin the last two, three weeks. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't read the bulletin. Why wouldn't, why do you, you think Jimmy prints that bulletin because she just loves doing bulletins? If any of you have ever been a church secretary, you know that that is laughable. And the pain that sometimes is a repercussion as a result of what goes in a bulletin. You know that you used too many commas in a sentence last week. Did you know that you misspelled there? Oh, man, every, every kind of complaint. But the information, are, are we aware of what's going on? Are we aware enough to participate in what's going on? Do you sense that others follow your requests because they want to as opposed to because they have to? In other words... Do you sense that people are yes men, yes women around you simply maybe because they fear you? You know, they don't, they don't do what you say because they want to do it. They, they fear you. Do others communicate their ideas and vision for the church when you're around? Maybe they don't because, I don't know, they're afraid of you jumping on them or you disagreeing with them very strongly. But we ought not be afraid 
Listen, we ought not be afraid to discuss anything with one another. And we ought to be able to uh, disagree without becoming disagreeable. Is that true? Yes. We ought to be able to disagree about just about anything and still love each other because that's number one. So I'd, I'd ask, do, do I ever hear people talking about stuff around me? Maybe, they, maybe when I walk in a room, they clam up. Ugh. Um, are you able to anticipate the future and its consequences? You know, in our building a great church, we talked about vision. You know, what are our plans? Even know what our plans are. Have our plans been voiced? Uh, do, what's going on, you know? Are we just walking around in a daze? Are we just, just kind of putting in time? That's not what the Lord wants of us. Are you helping the church to make a positive difference in the world? <laughs> I would suggest look at some of your Facebook posts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I am bewildered at things that I read in public places. But are you helping, you know, are you putting, as much as you are able, putting a good face for those who are outside looking at us, are you putting on a good face for the church to make a difference? Are you committed to helping others develop and grow? Well, I tell you, now I don't, don't know how you feel about lads to leaders. I'm sure there's some disagreement. There always is some places, but man, there's a program that's interested in developing children. Oh, we ought to be fired up about that kind of thing. And when we see our children uh, doing their things, giving speeches, leading songs, what have you, well, we ought to just, hey, you know, wow. You... I remember growing up being a little kid and all the older ones patting you on the head and saying, you ought to grow up and be a preacher someday, you know? Then you grow up old enough to be a preacher and they're like, don't ever become a preacher. What's wrong with you? We ought to be encouraging our young people so that as they grow to maturity, they'll want to be a Christian just like you. Wait a minute, that's not a, that, that's not a tick on here, but you could add it if you want to. Do you want the young people to be just like you? I should add that for next time. Okay, and are you contributing to a strong sense of community in the church? Here's something that happens. We sit in the same place all the time. Now, I'm not advocating that you move, you like where you sit, but I remember as a, a young couple, we had some little kids, two at, the, two at the time, I think, and we had all of our stuff strewn out on a pew, and this good, well-meaning lady come walking up, and she said, excuse me, you're in my pew. And you know what we told her? We said, oh, I'm sorry. So we picked up all of our bags, plural, all of our stuff spread out over that pew, and we moved back one pew. And she showed us her little plaque on the end of the pew. It had her name on it. You see, she had donated the money to buy that pew. So she had the rights to that pew. Lord, help us not to be like that. We're all in this together. And I'd hate to think that some impressionable young family who was just looking for a church somewhere showed up and got booted out. Oh, please no. So, are you com 
contributing to community? Or are you, are you being a part of the family? Are you helping us be one? Well, you can go through these. I imagine some of you just ticked all of them, uh, checked all of them, and that's great. If you checked less than seven, I'm, there's no condemnation here. One of the points that I'd like to make about our study is that we're all on a journey. We're none of us perfect. We're all striving to be servants, slaves of the Lord. But we've got to start somewhere. And the encouragement is that we'll be starting in the process of our study to become the kind of servant that God needs for us to be. All right, we're going to have a prayer and be dismissed. would encourage our parents to go ahead and get their kids, give them about 15, 20 seconds, and then everybody else can leave. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word and the challenge that it is. Lord, I pray that you will make every single one of us a servant of yours, to have the heart of service. Forgive us, Father, when we lapse and we begin to think self-willed and we, we kind of nudge you out or we have a false sense of security in our relationship with you. Lord, just convict us if there are things that are amiss and help us to have the right spirit about it that we'll just strive to be what you want us to be. Help us, like you did, to look to the Father, to emulate him by looking at Jesus. And then as a result of that, help us in our steps every day not to falter in our commitment to serve you better. Thank you, Father, for hearts that are determined to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.